The Women's Fund for Scotland is Scotland's only dedicated fund for women and girls. I'm Susan Morrison and this is our podcast where we talk to inspiring women improving the lives of those women and girls today. We know applying for funding can be daunting, so we spoke to Helen and Mercedes from Foundation Scotland to get a few hints and tips for completing those application forms. Grant making, applying for grants, applying for funding has acquired a mystique. I think people are slightly terrified of it because it seems like it's such a complicated thing. But Helen, you have been dealing with applications for a while. So perhaps you could just tell us a little bit about the work that you do with Foundation Scotland and the grant making that you you do. Sure. So Foundation Scotland is a bit of a a different funder to the ones that most applicants will be familiar with because we work with a range of different donors and other charitable trusts and foundations such as the Women's Fund for Scotland. And what we do is we we administer funding on behalf of those donors. So we have a range of different grant programmes that we all set up that meets the criteria and the themes of those different funders. So with the Women's Fund, for example, we have our own programme that we will launch each year and will be open to applications and we provide application support for people who would like to apply to the fund. We'll do webinars to tell them all about the criteria and then we do a full assessment of all the projects which involves us calling the applicants and talking through their project so that perhaps if you're not very good at writing but you're really good at talking you get a fair chance to to tell us about your project because quite often you don't really get a sense of a project until you hear somebody talk about it than, than when you're reading about it on paper. That, that is a very good point, Helen. I think a lot of people are put off by, by a form. I think that's the thing that kind of freaks people out quite a lot. And it sounds to me, if I could just turn to you, Mercedes, for a moment, it, it sounds to me like, you, you, know, like you, you take quite an active role in when people are applying to the to the funds yeah that's right we do everything from sort of holding their hand before they've even submitted the application and if they have questions then the fund advisor will be on on hand to help and and answer anything that they they have by email and then you know helping them through the technical process of submitting all the way through to when we get the the applications we review them all individually on a case-by-case basis and it's not really much of a, a blanket process we try to be as specific as we can for each individual project Helen that is really fascinating because I think people look upon uh, applying for grants and funding almost in an adversarial sort of way like I am going to complete this form and you're going to submit to my will uh, or not and I won't get the money uh, but you uh, Helen you look you're, it's almost like you're, you're talking about this in a more cooperative sort of way yeah certainly I think we, we try to be and we're certainly looking at our processes all the time to try and improve things and make things simpler for applicants because we do appreciate that it's it's a difficult thing, particularly if you don't have paid fundraising staff. Having to go out and seek funding and fill out lots and lots of application forms can be quite a big task. So certainly what we do at the foundation is we do regularly review our application materials and try to make sure we're only asking the questions that are are relevant. And then providing that named contact support on each fund means that as you start filling that out, if you do need to ask for support and advice, then there is somebody that you can contact directly to do that, to try and help you through the process. We do need the application forms that we need to gather that information so we can see the basics on on what, what an applicant is looking to do. But we do try and offer as much support as we can um, to help to make the process a bit simpler. And we've started on a bit of a journey with the IVAR commitments, so which is about being an open and trusting grant maker. So again, that's looking at 
what we do, making sure we're not wasting applicants' times, only asking for relevant information, being as transparent as we can about how we make decisions and, and letting groups know if chances of success are upfront before they apply. So they've got all the information that they need to make a decision about whether it's the right fund or we're the right funder for them to apply to. Can you just give us a background on what IVAR is? So so IVAR, which is the Institute for Voluntary Action Research, they started the Open and Trusting Grant Making Initiative. I think it was about two years ago. We signed up in 2021. And what they do is they ask funders to sign up to eight commitments. And that's done in collaboration with lots of grantees. So it's a it's a, a joint piece of work between applicants and, and funders. And there's an accountability process. So every year, the foundation will sit with, uh, will be interviewed by uh, a charity who applies for funding and challenged on their processes and their commitments to, to being an open and trusting funder. And around that, Ivar do lots of research, speaking to applicants about what the challenges are, what do funders do well, what could funders improve on and then they make a series of recommendations and we as funders will look to see where we can implement change and take the learning from that so we've been doing that and we had our accountability interview in September and we've made some changes to how we deliver our funding as a result of that such as putting on the success rate and the amount of money available on the website so when people are looking at the fund they can say right you know, I I don't have a professional fundraiser. I have to put my time where it's best used. I can see that the success rate on this fund is 20% and they've only got £100,000 to give away. So maybe I won't prioritise that this time round. So it's, it's trying to give applicants as much information and as as many tools as possible that can help them make an informed decision about whether to apply and then, and then making sure our application process is as simple as possible. I'm going to come on to that now, although before I do that, Mercedes, you're also quite involved with the Women's Fund for Scotland as well, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. So I'm the fund advisor for the Women's Fund for Scotland at Foundation Scotland. So essentially build the, with collaboration from the fund itself, build the fund up from creating the application form and the key criteria to getting the applications in and assessing them and then the final process of sort of managing decision making. So step by step. Right, I'm going to come back to that managing decision making later because I have absolutely no idea because I can't make decisions anyway. And so having to do that, I think must be just quite a skilled job. (laughs) So we'll come back to that. But but first of all, I wanted to speak to both of you because what you've so far um, described, especially Helen, is... uh, an application process which is far more helpful than I think people realise. So, for example, if an organisation comes to you, they can get advice before they even put their application in. And I think a lot of organisations would be surprised to know that. Is that fair to say, Helen, that you will guide people at the very beginning? Absolutely. So that's one of the the, the roles that Mercedes plays with the fund is that she's available to answer questions that people have before they make the application. And you're right, I think a lot of applicants don't realise that they have that ability to to ask questions before they make an application. So Mercedes, somebody gets in touch with you, they're looking for funding, and then you look at their, what they're asking for. Can you diplomatically say, mm, this isn't for you? I think the benefit of being at Foundation Scotland is that because we have so many funds, if 
for example, an application wouldn't necessarily be the best fit with Women's Fund for Scotland, we usually have another fund that can be a really good home for that application. So it's also just about signposting them to, you know, the fund that might be the best fit for that organisation. So sometimes they might have a proposal for the Women's Fund, but actually it could be a better fit with a, a different fund that we have. So we never sort of turn people away in that sense. So you don't just slam the door. It's it's maybe it's not for us, but you can, so they, people shouldn't be afraid of, of getting in touch with with you with just an idea yeah absolutely I think a lot of people don't realize this and then Helen when people do sit down and yes we do need forms um, and we do have to sit there I think something that frightens people is that if they make a mistake on that form you're going to see it immediately and go oh no we can't fund these people they make mistakes but that isn't fair to say is it no how the process works is you know once the application is received into our system all of the applications are read. So initially when they come in, we have our basic eligibility checks where we check to make sure that they do meet the criteria and they have the right governance in place to be able to apply for a grant. And if something's missing or something's not there, we would go back to them to say, we can't move it forward and this is why. And it gives them chance to then say, oh, actually, you know, I should have attached my accounts. Apologies, I've here they are. It's not an automatic no. We tell them why there might be a problem and it gives them an opportunity to fix that problem. And if the mistake's in the narrative, again, Mercedes is reading those applications and you can usually tell or you will check, you know, if something seems unusual, you would check that. So if you manage to sit down, you manage to write out your application form and you, you manage to send off. The reason I'm using all the words manage is because if I ever manage to do this, it's a miracle. Um, but what frightens me, and I think some other people out there who, who make applications, there's two words that frighten us and the two words are monitoring and evaluation. And so just talk to you about that, Mercedes. I mean, we, I don't know, the word monitoring and we think, oh, you're going to suddenly appear at my door and demand my accounts at two o'clock in the morning or it's not like that at all, is it? No, not at all. Obviously, there's questions within the application form about how the organisation itself will track the progress of a project. And that can be in terms of whether they have feedback, questionnaires or evaluation methods. And then for us as a foundation, you know, if that organisation has been successful with the grant, we would ask for some monitoring in the form of a sort of final grant report that would come in after the project's ended. And I think there's a bit of maybe paranoia sometimes on the part of applicants that they have to provide lots of data and lots of figures about this is how many people participated and this is the difference that it made. And whilst that is true, we do ask for some data. I think it's not sort of the be all and end all. I think data can be really helpful in the long term, especially for the fund itself. But we also really appreciate the those kind of personal stories and the testimonials that come through from projects. We do ask for them as part of the reporting process. And sometimes those stories can be more impactful in a way. I think they can really shine a light on how a project has benefited one individual and how that might have had a sort of life-changing impact on that person. Oh, that's absolutely fascinating, Mercedes. That's incredible. I didn't really that I think a lot of people think that when you say evaluation, you're looking for data you're looking for big crunchy numbers but the idea that you can get testimonies from people that and just life stories about how things have changed that's that's really illuminating and you are right that personal story is really important i think people are a bit worried about monitoring because they think you're watching them all the time but in fact you you're there for them monitoring is, is actually can be very helpful isn't is that right helen yeah absolutely i think what i would stress to to anybody who has funding is if you think things are going wrong or you can see some issues with your project contact the funder talk it through with them because often we can we can help we might be able to find 
help find a solution or if you're you know if it's a funding shortfall then there might be an opportunity where we can access additional funding i think the important thing is always have that conversation don't leave it till it's 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 too late because funders we want you to succeed we want the projects to succeed so we'll always do everything we can to help you and when it comes to evaluation um helen it's it's People sometimes make the mistake of thinking that you are evaluating the charity and not the project. The purpose of the evaluation is really to help us learn, you know, about what works and what doesn't and to be able to show the impact that a fund has had. It's not a test. And often, you know, you learn just as much from projects that haven't gone well as those that have, because, you know, you can take that learning and apply it to to perhaps looking at how you've designed the fund and then also to share that with others. So when you make the application, we do ask groups to select what we call impact data. So they'll be asked, you know, which priorities do you meet and how how are you going to measure that? And then when they're awarded a grant, they get a copy of what they're going to be asked to submit at the end so they can see that. But the evaluation for us is really, is the fund making the difference that we want it to make? And if it isn't, why why is that and that's not necessarily something we're going to say is down to the groups that could be something that we've done wrong in how we've set the criteria it's a learning journey for everybody it's not necessarily saying your project didn't work and that's bad it's how has this been impacted and sometimes you you know there's, there's learning that's unexpected from an evaluation there's no right or wrong it's just an incredibly helpful thing for the groups to use for future fundraising for example so when they do their monitoring to us they're providing information that actually would slot really nicely into their next funding app application that as you know our project has done this and you know here's some here's some great case studies or statements from beneficiaries that we've worked with that evidence how important our work is so it, it's a tool for their next application it shouldn't just be about reporting back to that funder but evaluation is learning for both the funder and the projects I think. What a great point evaluation is not just to report back to you it's something that will actually benefit the the funded organization as well so it's not really a chore it's part of your PR isn't it? So I've sat down, uh, right, I've made my cup of coffee, I'm in front of my computer, I've had a chat with Mercedes, I'm, I've got I've got a great project, we've all agreed that uh, I'm going to help homeless cats in um, Leith, there's quite a lot, and uh, we've sat around, we've discussed it, um, got the application open, what top tips would you give me before I've even started to type up that application? I think there's probably two, sort of from maybe a more clinical side, it would be just really double checking the key eligibility criteria. Um, And all of that is on our funding page. And with the Women's Fund for Scotland, there's things like income caps can come into play, eligible costs. So making sure that what you're asking for is in line with sort of the key programme objectives. But I think from a sort of narrative perspective, often some of the strongest applicants, especially with this fund, is being able to frame your projects around the context of your local community. So we recognise that the issues that impact women and girls in maybe the highlands and islands are not necessarily those that mirror the inequalities that are prevalent in Glasgow or Edinburgh, for example. I think some of the strong applications, it's about taking time to tell a story. Um, not only about your organisation, but about the women and girls that live in your community and how you think the activities might benefit them. A thing that's often missed out, I think, is people realising that an application is actually telling a story. You know, that narrative is extremely important. Have you got any top tips for me, Helen, before I start typing away here and put my coffee cup down and get ready to go? I, I think, as Mercedes said, just making sure you've read and understood the purpose of the fund. But also, I'd say ask for what you need. I think sometimes applicants ask for less than they need because they think that will give them a greater chance of success. 
But actually, it can be a bit of a counterproductive thing because we'll be looking at your project planning and thinking, well, your project costs £10,000 and you're asking us for three, but you can actually ask for five and you don't have any of the other funds in place. So why would you reduce that down? There does tend to be a sense, I think, from applicants that if they they don't ask for as much as they can, it'll it'll increase their chances. But actually, we would want to see that groups apply for and ask for the amount that they need and the amount, you know, if that's the maximum amount that the fund has to offer, please, please apply for that. So essentially you're saying be bold. That's it, exactly. So, you, you know, be proud of your project and ask for what you need. And if it costs £10,000, it costs £10,000. Don't be worried about that. So um, sadly, I've realised that my um, my ambition to give every cat in Leith a home won't fit with the Women's Fund for Scotland. So I'll, I'll have to rethink my project on that. But um, I'll come back to you, definitely. <laughs> uh, but another problem I think applicants have sometimes is they don't read the whole application form before they start do you find that happens yes that's very common i think two common things from a funder is that it's very clear people don't read the guidelines that we provide and they haven't always read the questions now we do provide them on our website so you don't have to start the application process to know what the questions are They're, they are available for you to read through and you know discuss with your committee or with other people that you are working with so you know if you're a staff member that's applying you can have the questions in advance and you can chat through with your finance team or if it's the, the trustees you need to discuss it with so do all that before you fill out the form make sure you have all the information that you need before you start filling out the application form do you think it's better if an application is a collaborative exercise then not just one person on their own but quite a few people feeding in i think we would hope that that would be the case in in most of the applications because you know the organizations are often made up of larger management committees and we do see some strong projects come through where they've actually input some feedback or quotes from the service users themselves. If they need to evidence need for a specific cost within a project and there's participants telling them that there's that need, then why not include that in the application form? So no man is an island sort of thing. It doesn't need to just be one person filling an application form out. I think there needs to be sort of active discussion between the organisation and the service users and potential project partners before you would even sort of start filling out that application form so that you've got a really concrete project design ahead of you. Ah, I just never considered the idea it should be more of a collaborative effort than everyone getting together, the more voices, the better. And checking out you've answered the questions correctly or you've 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 understood what you're being asked for. So I'm um, right. I've finished my application form. Um, I'm still I'm still going ahead with this project. Uh, I'm determined to do it. And I send it in. Now, here's the bit that I think a lot of people out there are, are worried about, that they send their application in and then you have this this meeting where it gets evaluated. And I think people are still um, slightly frightened about what happens in these meetings. I don't know why. I mean, it's not like you're, I don't know, sacrificing goats or something. Can you, I mean, without actually going into detail, Mercedes, I mean, because I know that you've, you've been on these evaluation panels. How do you make your mind up? Yeah, it's an interesting process. And I think there's a lot of work that goes in beforehand. So it's never the case that an organisation will kind of submit an application and then it will get assessed without them really knowing. As Helen mentioned earlier, we do that individual assessment call with them. And at the end of that process, we'll talk them through the next steps to say, look, this will move through to sort of a decision-making process. And I think panel meetings can sound quite intimidating, mm. but essentially at Foundation Scotland, we're really just there to, I suppose, be diplomatic and make sure that everyone's opinions about certain projects are heard. We don't step in with our own thoughts about this is a really strong project and you should fund this. 
the panels have had a chance to read through all of the assessment reports um, a few weeks prior to that meeting taking place. So they've really had time to sort of come to their own conclusions about individual projects. And then the panel meeting itself is really just a time for discussion and making sure that everyone's comfortable with each project that's going to be selected for funding and that everyone's sort of on the same page. And sometimes people aren't, which is absolutely fine. But more often than not, it's about diplomacy and everyone coming to a comfortable decision at the end of the day. See, Helen, that's one of the things, that's why I would be absolutely terrible at this, because I would just run around going, can we just not give everybody... Twenty pounds, which would be useless. But Helen, you you've taken part in these discussions as well. I mean, how do you do that? How do you make your mind up about things like that? Well, the discussions are normally based around how well the applications that we're looking at fit with the priorities of the fund and the impact that they're going to make. So you have to really look at all the different applications. What funding priorities for the Women's Fund for Scotland, for example, are they meeting? What's the sort of spread we've got? Are, are they all tackling domestic abuse or are they or is there a nice range so it's it's a it's a discussion of all of the applications and making sure you get a good a good range that are covering the different themes and making sure as well sometimes that the geography we're not all funding all projects in the central belt we make sure there's a good spread so there's different factors that we will take into consideration is the sort of strength of the project and how it fits with the themes which themes are being addressed where we are geographically in the country and just making sure that the funds that we apply will have the best impact. And as Mercedes has mentioned, in the sort of background for, for the Foundation Scotland staff, those applications that are not going to get funded, we're always looking for another funder. So it could be that at the end of that panel meeting, the three that were unsuccessful then go on to get funded by other funders, for example. What you just said there is extremely important. It's, it's to fit with the priorities. If you don't get funding, it's not personal. It's to do with the application. I think a lot of people are afraid of applying for funding. If they get turned down, they take it personal. And it's it's not that at all, is it? No. And I think that's it. People are really passionate about what they do, quite rightly. So it, it, there's a lot of, there's a lot invested in those applications. And sometimes it is incredibly difficult because we just don't have enough money to fund all of the projects. And that's where that consensus around which ones are the best fit for the fund, you know, for the what is the Women's Fund trying to achieve and which of these applications is going to help the Women's Fund achieve those priorities. Do you see common mistakes in ones that, that are not successful, Helen? I think sometimes a common mistake is in the planning. Things perhaps haven't been thought through as much as they could have been. So if something is turned down and we're able to give feedback, you know, if there's a specific reason, we will provide that feedback. And it could be that perhaps there hasn't been enough, enough consultation. So there's a lot of us, the applicant has perhaps made assumptions on behalf of the community that they're serving. So we would look, you know, we would feedback that if they could do more consultation or if they could provide some more evidence of what they wanted to do, then they could come back for an application in the next round, for example. But I don't know, Mercedes might be better to answer whether there's common ones in mm. terms of feedback for the Women's Fund. Yeah, I think um, you really have to divide it between at what point they don't get through the process. So I'd say if they've been assessed and they've been put to panel then they've made it that far and they wouldn't make it that far if they weren't a good project which is difficult to hear but I think as Helen said sometimes there's not enough funds to go around and I think in terms of feedback for those projects what we find really helpful is outlining the amount of money that we've had in terms of requests against the available budget that we've had and I found that organisations tend to take 
the news of a potential rejection much easier when they realise that they've made it through to panel, but it was just a sort of situation of grant monies not being able to fund every project and that they feel a bit more empowered and emboldened to say, oh, actually, you know, I was on the right track with this application and it just came down to the panel discussion. And I think maybe for projects that come in earlier and don't make it through, yeah, I agree with Helen, the overall planning could be some discrepancies there. There's some organisations that just don't necessarily put enough information in there. It can be a real mixed bag of, you know, organisations write a lot of information and then there's some that don't write enough. So, you know, write your application and then read it back. I would highly recommend doing that because then you can see if there's gaps and maybe anticipate questions that you think we might ask you. And if you can't find the answer in that application form that you've written, then you might need to go back and make some adjustments. It's great to know there's feedback. People perhaps should begin to think about doing applications almost as a learning process. So even if you don't get the funding this time, then you're going to get feedback that will help you the next time. So don't look at not getting funding completely negatively. In fact, you might have learned a great deal out of it. The the panels that you you sit on, Mercedes, for the Women's Fund for Scotland, do they include previous beneficiaries of the fund? Yes. So it's a really sort of interesting makeup of the panel. And Women's Fund for Scotland is quite unique in the way that it actually welcomes previous grantees onto the panel. It's not necessarily something that we do with all of our panels and it's something we've introduced within the last two years so essentially that panel will be made up of um, representatives from the Women's Fund for Scotland and then more recently we've invited between one and three representatives from organisations that have received grant monies in the past and we've noticed that it's been really really helpful in terms of having voices on the panel who have that grassroots experience they're in the same boat as the organisations that have applied they understand the process They also understand what it takes to deliver a successful project. And sometimes they're really adept at noticing if a project might be extending its scope or a bit too overly ambitious because they know what it takes to run a project over a 12-month period. So they're really great voices to have on board. It's a great idea to have the experience there beside you when you're making this decision. Um, Helen, you've actually been with um, Foundation Scotland, Women's Fund for Scotland for a very, very long time. Have you seen quite a lot of changes whilst you've been with the organisations? Yeah, so I've been involved with the Women's Fund for Scotland since 2002, so nearly for the entire duration of its life, really. You must have been doing it as work experience from school. (laughs) When I joined the foundation, the Women's Fund was in its first year with funding from what was then the Scottish Executive. So I've seen it grow from that very sort of small fund to what it is today, obviously its own independent charitable trust and, and funder in its own right. It's been great to have been part of that journey and see the way it's kind of morphed from being very broad, you know, we'll fund projects that support women and girls to having much more defined themes and being much more focused about tackling those inequalities and how the funding can can do that and the learning that's taken place over the years that's helped shape and influence what we see as the Women's Fund today. What is, can someone explain to me the impact framework? It sounds quite scary but I'm sure it's not. So the impact framework is the tool that we use for all of our funds to help us to see the difference. So it's made up of a series of high level themes and then what we call outcomes and indicators. So the outcomes are the things that we expect to see change. 
And then the indicators are what we use to measure that change. So it could be an outcome is to improve the educational attainment of young girls. And then indicators would be the things that we measure to see how that's working. So number of courses undertaken or number of courses passed, number of participants within taking part in training courses, things like that. So we use that to gather some of the the figures that show that as a result of the funding, we'll be able to say in your lovely impact report from 2022, as a result of funding, 3,000 girls were able to access training courses, 10 went on to full-time employment, and it just gives some figures to bring those stories to life a little bit. Both of you, uh, I find this astonishing because I was given this stat and I still think it's jaw-dropping. Only 1.8% of UK charitable funding goes to work with women and girls. That's not enough. Would I be right in saying that, Mercedes? Yes, I think so. But I I think the sector has come really far over the last few years. I think we're seeing an increase in gender-specific projects, especially when it comes to health-related issues. So since I've been managing the fund, we've seen a lot more projects where it's about you know, educating young girls on menstruation or reproductive rights or mother-based projects that look at loneliness and isolation and reducing health inequalities. And I think the sector's sort of been a bit more driven by the UN Sustainable Development Goals, the goals that we use to, again, measure impact to see where we funded. And one of those goals is gender equality. So there's a greater recognition now, I think, across the sector that it is an important goal and that a lot of other goals can't actually be achieved if you don't have gender equality and sort of recognising the role that women play in society. So we're doing our utmost to make sure that we can push that forward and make women and, and girls project more visible in the sector. But, you know, there's still progress to be made. And Helen, um, it is only 1.8%, but are you still hopeful for the future for this sector? Absolutely. I think there's definitely a shift in mindset, even from those delivering projects and an understanding the inequalities facing women and girls is disproportionate and and they're affected in different ways. And certainly I think we're seeing more when projects applications come in, for example, that they're now tailoring services specifically for women and girls. And I think that demand will hopefully help drive bringing in donations that are specific to that. So, we, you know, it's part of our role, I think, maybe as a funder to evidence that we have a huge demand for projects that are targeting women and girls and those inequalities, but that we don't have necessarily the funding that's going to allow that those to be supported. So there's a bit of responsibility with us as funders to try and drive that agenda as well, I think. So reassuring to me, if, if I was ever thinking of applying, then I just feel I feel so much more confident because the advice that you've given, because basically you've said that funders are partners, not adversaries. And by taking a few simple steps, such as reading the guidance carefully, making sure you fit the criteria, consult with as many people as you can, call you when you need that advice. That, I think, is so important. And finally, what you said about evaluation monitoring, this is this is good PR. You should be doing this anyway. It's not a chore. So uh, I'm going to go home now and I'm going to rejig my application for homeless cats. I'll just make it female homeless cats. And um, and I'll have that off to you shortly. Uh, so you can expect my call, Helen and Mercedes. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I look forward to seeing it. Thank you for joining us and listening to this story. I hope you've been inspired. And if you would like to support the Women's Fund for Scotland, search for us online and listen out for our other podcast episodes.